He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, then the Holy Spirit indwells you. God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you and directs you, empowers you, and accomplishes his mission through you. And that can seem strange to think about. Uh, If you've heard me share my story of coming to faith, then you may have heard me relay the moment I first heard about the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer. Our youth group was at summer camp. I just responded to an altar call for salvation like a third time in three or four months. Uh, But I remember this time was very different. The other times, maybe I professed faith because others were going forward or something else, but this time was different. I was leveled. I remember being simultaneously gripped with two realizations. One, that as a rebellious sinner, I rightly deserved the wrath of God for my sin. And then two, though I deserved his wrath, Jesus took his wrath for me in my place on the cross, and I could be forgiven by trusting in the cross. And so we're sitting there during this like old-fashioned altar call, right? Like they were playing just as I am for 15 minutes straight or something like that. And my youth pastor pulls me to the side. He says, Tyler, what's going on? You responded to the altar call here, you responded there, and you're responding again. You know you really only need to trust in Christ once, and once you do, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. And I remember thinking, that sounds weird. But I feel weird, so putting those two things together, maybe you're right. Maybe that's exactly what's happening right now. And it was. Looking back, there's a marked change in my life by God's grace on that moment, July 17th of 2000. Listen, I can point to the date, because for me it was just that clear. Others of you, my wife included, you can't really point to the exact date. Instead, you just look back on your life And you say, look, somewhere in there, I don't know when, but it happened. God, the Holy Spirit, regenerated your heart and indwelled you with his spirit. So Christian, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. As we turn to our text this morning, we see in the foreground the account of Paul and Barnabas setting out on the missionary journey in Cyprus. And we see in the foreground the detailed account of their encounter with evil opposition from the magician as they seek to share the gospel with Sergius Paulus. But all the while, as these characters come and go in the stage in front of us, the whole backdrop always in view is this. The Spirit of God is working through the Word of God. God, the Holy Spirit, is driving the mission, empowering the mission, and accomplishing the mission. Let's read Acts 13, starting in, we'll pick it up in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. 
and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use your word this morning to speak to your people. God, I pray that you would accomplish the work that you want to do in us right now. Lord, I pray now even now we would experience the filling of your spirit as we sit under your word. Stir us even now, Lord, to listen to your voice. And Father, I pray for whatever it is that you want to do through this word to those gathered here. God, I pray that you would accomplish that. Lord, I pray that you would comfort those that need to be comforted. Lord, I pray that you convict those that need to be convicted. I pray that you would grow confidence and boldness in those of us that need confidence and boldness. God, I pray that you would stir us up at your power in the task of going with the gospel. Help us to see that this morning from the text. And Father, I do pray that you would open the eyes of those who are with us today that don't know you, that haven't trusted in you. Lord, I pray that you, by your spirit, using your word, that you would give them the same gift that you gave Sergius Paulus, that they would leave out of here astonished at the gospel message that they hear. God, I pray that you would do that work even now. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Last week, we heard about the Holy Spirit calling out Barnabas and Paul for a new work. And we heard of the church's role responding to that by sending them. Verse 4 opens up our section this morning with a repetition. It says, So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Now, Luke has just relayed two verses earlier how this came about by the Holy Spirit, and he's just relayed that they were sent. But to draw our attention to the Spirit's ongoing, continued guidance, Luke repeats it over again. 
And I believe we mentioned earlier in our study of the book of Acts that though this book is historically known as the Acts of the Apostles, it might be more aptly named the Acts of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, is referenced 75 times in the book of Acts. If you're the highlight in your Bible type, I'd encourage you to grab a highlighter as you're reading through the book of Acts and highlight all the times that Luke mentions the Holy Spirit. As we read through the narrative, he is always there. And if we're not careful, we risk becoming so used to the Holy Spirit references that we stop seeing that all of this going on is his work. I'd put forth to you this morning that he is the main character of our passage today. Here's the thing that we need to see for us this morning. The Holy Spirit drives the mission. He directs it. He's the one planning it. Like a divine conductor, he sovereignly orchestrates the mission through God's people. He's the one pulling all of the strings. So, Paul and Barnabas go under the direction of the Spirit. They leave Antioch for the port city of Seleucia, and they sail on to the northern tip of Cyprus, Barnabas's home area, he's from Cyprus, and they go about proclaiming the gospel. It says that they first went to the synagogues. We're going to hear more about that at the end of chapter 13. But Cyprus had a large Jewish population, so they made their way across the island over 100 miles from the northern tip down to the southern city of Paphos. And that brings us to the main story that Luke records for us in their time ministering in Cyprus. As they are going about the work of proclaiming the gospel, somehow word of their teaching gets to the governor of the island the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Verse 7 calls Sergius Paulus a man of intelligence. So on hearing of the traveling teachers coming through, he calls for them because he wants to hear their message. And so the Holy Spirit has brought them to one of these divine appointments he has set for them. They have the opportunity to share the gospel with the governor of the island, and he called for them. Church, I think there's something for us here. The Holy Spirit drives the mission. He drove it then, and he still drives the mission today. When we are faithful to seek the Lord, when we cry out to him in prayer and fasting even, when we will seek him like Paul, Barnabas, and the church at Antioch, then when, then when we go about our lives in tune with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, his purposes on our mind, if we will seek him like they did, then he can use us in similar ways as he used them. All of us. Church, you ever have one of those divine appointments? You've been walking with the Lord for a while. Like, you know, sometimes you just come across one of those times where you know the sovereign hand of God put you in that place at that time to talk to that person with that conversation. Sometimes the Holy Spirit directs us to the appointment. 
freshman year for me at Kennesaw State. Uh, it was a party night on campus, uh, Thursday nights, but uh, I had a late class that night. All my Christian friends had gone on to do whatever good, clean fun we were getting into that night. Um, I'm sitting there in my dorm room reading my Bible, and I look out the window down below, and this thought hits me. You should go read on that bench outside. And this is what gave me pause, okay? It's the dead of winter. And if you know me, you know I hate cold weather. So I'm like, I, Lord, I don't know if that's from you, but I don't think it's from me. So whatever, let's just give it a go. Look, fam, I'm not there for 10 minutes. And this guy comes walking up, okay? For sure, he's had a few, but he's not all the way gone. And he, uh, he, he lights a cigarette, and he, he looks over at me, and he says, what are you reading? And I'm like, the Bible? And he says, I can see that. What book of the Bible are you reading? And I say, First uh, Peter. And he says something like this. Not verbatim, but something like this. He's like, First Peter, uh, written to the elect exiles, those chosen by God, rejected by the world. Like he just sums it up. Knows exactly what's going on in First Peter. And I say, so I take it you've read it then. And he, says, he, go, he, he launches into, you wouldn't be able to tell by looking at me tonight, but I grew up being a leader in my youth group, teaching others and so on, then went away to college, got into the wrong stuff, and we talked for a while. Like, man, you know, you're never too far to turn back to Jesus. You can turn back to him even now. And then I pray for him, and then he heads on. And then I go inside. I'm like, Lord, you had a conversation for me. I go inside, and I'm in awe. There was a conversation you wanted me to have, and that's why you came out here. That's why you directed me out here. Second, sometimes the Holy Spirit brings the appointment to us. I know I've shared part of this story before, but it's good. Years ago, we began being burdened for our neighbors. We were praying for an opportunity to share the gospel. Just, just the backstory: one, one night, three of us from the church are sitting around a fire in my backyard talking about evangelism and praying for opportunities to share the gospel. And then literally just a few hours later, I, witnesses, I can point you to names in this church, Literally, just a few hours later, at 11.30 at night, my neighbors come walking over and they say, we heard you out here and we just thought we should come meet you. We didn't share the gospel with them right that night, but that's the family, okay? So, some time passes. One day, Leah's doing yard work because she's weird and she likes doing yard work. Um, and th this neighbor comes walking over to her and she says, Leah... What's it mean to be saved? Okay, all right, like, how's that for an opportunity? You can't miss that one, right? Like, that's a beach ball on a tee with a tennis racket. Just swing, you're going to hit it. Um, turns out she was getting her haircut, and the hairdresser starts trying to share the gospel with her and talking about how to get saved. And she's not having it at all, so she just shuts it down. But then she starts thinking, and she knows Leah's a Christian, so she comes up to Leah, 
And then Leah gets the opportunity to share the gospel with her and then meet with her thereafter to discuss the Bible. Look, somewhere there's a hairdresser that planted a seed and has no idea all that her faithfulness led to under the sovereign direction of the Holy Spirit. Here's the deal. The Holy Spirit drives the mission. Paul and Barnabas here are going controlled by the Holy Spirit, seeking him in tune with him. And I repeat, if we would seek him as diligently as Paul, Barnabas, and the church at Antioch, then he can use us in similar ways. And again, I mean all of us. This doesn't just go for pastors and missionaries. The mission of God is so large that we need all hands on deck walking in the Spirit. We need construction workers walking in the Spirit. Salespeople walking in the Spirit. Teachers, managers, stay-at-home moms, retirees, students, and yes, pastors and missionaries too. <coughs> all hands on deck under the influence of the Holy Spirit to do his work. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit drives the mission. Second, the Holy Spirit empowers the mission. The Holy Spirit empowers the mission. Here they are. Sergius Paulus wants to hear their message. Here's the problem, though. One of his advisors is Bar-Jesus, also called Elimus, who verse 6 describes as a magician and a Jewish false prophet. Translation, he's a charlatan, unfaithful Jew who was dabbling in dark magic and passing himself off as a wise man. And I don't know a lot about being a charlatan, unfaithful Jew, dabbling in magic and trying to pass yourself off as a wise man, but I do know this. If your employer wants to hear the true word of God, that's not very good for job security. Because if he accepts the truth, he may not need a false prophet magician in his advisors in his court anymore. Verse 8 and 9 says, But Elimus, the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. There it is. Paul is about to boldly deliver a rebuke. He's going to rebuke a man from the governor's own court. And he's empowered to boldly deliver the rebuke, not by his own strength, but by the filling of the Holy Spirit. All truly converted Christians are indwelled with the Holy Spirit at all times. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. 
All Christians have the Spirit at all times, but we aren't all filled with the Spirit at all times. The New Testament uses the phrase filled with the Spirit to describe something different. As one theologian put it, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the immediate presence of God himself. And it therefore will result in feeling, feeling what God feels, desiring what God desires, doing what God wants, speaking by God's power, praying and ministering in God's strength, and knowing the knowledge which God himself gives. In Acts Men like Stephen and Barnabas are described as being full of the Spirit. So they had a character about them that they were always walking closely with the Lord in this way. But the book of Acts also repeatedly uses phrases like filled with the Holy Spirit to describe the Spirit's special empowering work in big moments to name only a few, like at Pentecost, like in the prayer meeting in Acts 4, and then like Paul experiences here as he stands to boldly rebuke and pronounce the Spirit's judgment on the false prophet Elimus. Verse 10 and 11. Paul talking, it says, And he said, You son of the devil... You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus, Jesus was a popular name of the day, but Paul tells them, no, you're the son of the devil. Paul refers to Micah 3.9, where also false prophets are being rebuked. God has made a path to back to God through the gospel. Why will you stand in his way, making it more difficult for people to come to me? Come to him, making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And we read this and we're like, yes, the gloves are off. Get him, Paul. But Paul does this because the Holy Spirit empowered him with boldness. Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. What about us? What do we take from that? First, we see that necessity of walking in the Spirit. Okay, listen, imperfect people are the only kind of people God uses, yes and amen. But the more you are seeking after him, the more you will be used by him. It's inevitable, because the work God does in you as you seek after him is not meant to terminate on you. It's always meant to be passed on as you minister to others, both inwardly in the church and outwardly to those who don't know Jesus. So church, let us be a people ever longing after the presence of God. Let us be a people seeking to all, every one of us, 
people that can be described as full of the Holy Spirit. Let us pursue that kind of walk with the Lord. Second, we see boldness. Look, this is a guy in the governor's court. It's, in the ESV, it's harder to see, but it's in, the, it's in the Greek where it says he's with Sergius Paulus. That's what it means. He's in the governor's court. He's one of his advisors. And Paul doesn't back down. The gloves come off. He's ready to stand for the gospel. Look, I don't know about you, but I'm not as bold as I'd like to be. There's times I see the opening and I shrink back. Then there's times I'm not even looking for it at all. And then there's times I hear something and I'm like, nah, I'm not getting into that with you today. Hear this. Boldness doesn't come from simply looking within ourselves and conjuring up more courage. Boldness comes from walking closely with the Lord so that you are full of his spirit. And if we are full of his spirit, if we are walking closely in, closely with the Lord, then we ought to be more bold. That's the repeated testimony of the book of Acts. And then perhaps closely related, but third, we, we see confidence in the power of, gospel, of the gospel against opposition. Paul is unfazed by the false prophet. He knows the truth. Here, the opposition is the evil of the false prophet, but what is the gospel opposition that we encounter? Are you confident, church, are you confident that the claims of the gospel can stand toe-to-toe with our modern-day adversaries? Can the gospel stand toe-to-toe with secularism? Can the gospel go toe-to-toe with this just apathy of like, I don't even want to talk about this stuff? Can the gospel break through that kind of barrier? Can it break through other religions? Can it, and so on. Is the gospel that powerful? Church, let us... Grow in the confidence of the gospel. Let us know deep in our bones that there's no other name, no other name by which a person can be saved but by the name of Jesus. And then let us go in confidence knowing that, knowing that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit drives the mission. The Holy Spirit empowers the mission. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit accomplishes the mission. 1st we see that he accomplishes, the Holy Spirit accomplishes it by rendering judgment on Elimus. Paul pronounces the Spirit's judgment that will fall on Elimus for standing in the way of the gospel. And then the Spirit carries it out. 
was immediately missed, and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So, Elimus tried to lead people away from God, but God struck Elimus so that he had to be led around by the people. I think this sounds familiar, right? Man opposes the gospel, gets struck blind. It's a callback to Paul's own life. But now Paul is full circle on the other side of it. So we see that he accomplishes it by rendering judgment on Elimus. And second, we see he accomplishes the mission by bringing the proconsul to faith. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Note that there's two things instrumental in the proconsul coming to faith. First, he saw what occurred with Elimus. There's the visible thing that he saw. He saw the power of the Holy Spirit and how he was greater than whatever evil power Elimus had. But that's not all. He didn't just see a miracle. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The judgment miracle with Elimus wasn't the main point. It only served to back up the main point, which was the teaching of the Lord. By dealing with Elimus, the Holy Spirit comes and makes straight the paths that Elimus had tried to make crooked. And having made the path straight, the proconsul then was able to receive the gospel. Look, from the outside looking in, the proconsul is an unlikely convert. Like, he's successful. He's got ties with the Roman government. What could he be looking for? But the Holy Spirit brought Paul and Barnabas to town. The Holy Spirit got a hold of the proconsul so that by some how he became a seeker, the Holy Spirit revealed his power visibly, and the Holy Spirit caused him to place his faith in Jesus. Church, is there anything beyond his power to accomplish? Is there any opposition that the Spirit of God can't overcome? Is there anyone too far gone? Is there anyone too comfortable and successful and they got it all together? So, like, that's not even someone I really need to talk to. Is there anyone that's too unlikely that the very Spirit of God can't save? I submit to you that there is not. If you're here today, and not a believer, we're glad you're here. This is the good news that the proconsul found so astonishing. God saves sinners. Though we've 
all rebelled against him in our sin. God did not leave us in our sin. Rather, Christ came in the flesh, died on the cross, Christ came in the flesh, died on the cross, in our place, taking the punishment that we deserved. And then he rose, victorious, over the grave, and ascended to the right hand of God, where he reigns over the world even now. That's astonishing. That's astonishing. If you hear that and you walk away with indifference this morning, then my prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit of God would be merciful to you. That he would soften your hard heart so that you can receive this wonderful news that God saves sinners who don't deserve that. That's you this morning. We'd love to talk with you more. Talk to the friend that invited you. Talk to someone sitting near you. Come talk to any of us that have been up front this morning. And I close with this, zooming out to see the big picture, church. The Holy Spirit drives the mission. The Holy Spirit empowers the mission. And the Holy Spirit accomplishes the mission. Shouldn't that give us comfort? Like us who are scared to go with the gospel? Like shouldn't it give us comfort that he's actually out there planning, bringing people into our path, making it happen before we ever even go? And he's actually in there working with us, empowering us as we go. Like you ever... Sorry to go back. Have, have you ever had that moment talking with someone where, like, you say just the right thing or you ask just the right question at just the right time? And you're like, I'm too dumb to come up with that. Okay? I have. Uh, the Holy Spirit empowers us as we go. And look, sometimes he doesn't empower us until we open our mouth. And then the Holy Spirit accomplishes the mission. He's the one responsible for saving. He's the one that takes our seemingly failed, scattering seeds, getting shut down at the barber shop. He's the one that takes that and runs with it. I close with this, zooming out to see the big picture. Acts 6 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Acts 12, 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 19, 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The gospel increased and multiplied all throughout the book of Acts. With the Holy Spirit driving the mission, empowering the mission, accomplishing the mission, we should expect nothing less for the gospel today. Church, hear me one more time. He that is in you 
is greater than he who is in the world. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I pray that you would stir us up as your people this morning to set aside any fears, any uh, any anxieties about going with the gospel, about living as a Christian, about living set apart in this world. God, I pray that you would comfort us this morning. God, we know that your spirit does even more than we see in this passage today. He also comforts us. He also causes us to grow in Christ-likeness. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that work in us. God, stir us. Stir us with bold confidence, Lord. We know that when you want to save, you use means to save. So when you have someone that you want to save, you stir up your people to go with the gospel. Stir us up in that, Lord. Stir us up to be faithful. Put a fire in our bones that we must share this message and that we must trust you to do all that you do through that. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.